I want you to imagine for a minute <laughs> that you're God. Can you guys do that for me? Okay, and those of you online, imagine that you're God, and here is your task. You have to choose the woman who's going to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. You can choose any woman in the world because you're God. You can choose any time period that you like. I would hope that the person that you would choose if you were God would be someone extraordinary. I hope that as you sat on your throne in heaven, that you'd gather all the angels around you and you say, bring me the best of the best. I only want the top resumes. Okay, we got to find the best woman to be the mother of the Son of God. You know what's fascinating? God chooses Mary, a young Jewish woman in Nazareth, Israel, who's already engaged to be married to a guy named Joseph. And there's nothing extraordinary about Mary. Her name is not extraordinary. You know, there were Marys everywhere 2,000 years ago in that part of the world. That name Mary was equivalent to the Hebrew name Miriam, which gets its origins from the Hebrew word that is rendered bitter. That's what it means, bitter. So Mary, quite possibly, had kind of a bitter, tough life growing up. Certainly, her name wasn't extraordinary. Her hometown, not extraordinary. She was from Nazareth, which was a poor, insignificant farming town of only about 400 Jewish peasants in the region of Galilee. Uh, Nazareth is famously mentioned in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John uh, 1, 46. One of Jesus' disciples named Nathaniel, you might remember, hears that the Messiah is here, and he finds out it's Jesus of Nazareth. And his response is, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? I think that says it all. How'd you like for someone to say that about your hometown? So, Nazareth is like, it's like the other side of the railroad tracks. There's nothing extraordinary about where Mary's from. There's nothing extraordinary about her fiance, soon to be husband. In fact, we know almost nothing about this guy. He was a good Jewish guy. But uh, the one thing that we do know from Matthew 13, 55 is he was a carpenter. So pretty ordinary profession. It would have been a pretty ordinary way of life for Mary and Joseph and their family. As a mother... Mary, not extraordinary. We have very few um, pictures of Mary with with, uh, young children. And really the the best one that we have, we talked about this last week, was uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 45, where Jesus is 12 years old. They make this pilgrimage to the temple. And Mary and Joseph, they lose Jesus. Now, no judgment here on Mary, because, you know, every parent has had that moment, that terrifying moment where you lose your kid, you know? But, I mean, they did lose him for five days, though. (laughs) And this is the Son of God, which does raise the stakes a little bit. You'd think you'd be a little extra careful with the chosen Messiah of the world. Okay, so nothing extraordinary about that moment, that's for sure. But then, uh, if you remember uh, last week, we were talking about uh, Jesus' brother, James. James. 
and um, how he did not believe in Jesus during his lifetime. And there's this, there's this famous moment in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, where Jesus has been doing all these miracles. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing on the Sabbath. He's telling people their sins are forgiven. He's got a tax collector named Matthew, who's one of his inner circle of disciples. And pretty much like everyone's talking about how crazy this all is. And his own family, it says, Mark three twenty one. when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. This was Mary and her four sons, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Now, inevitably, it's James and the brothers who did not believe in Jesus who are leading this charge. But still, what this shows us about Mary, Mary doesn't have a good grasp on her household right now at this point, does she? I mean, she believes in Jesus, but clearly her sons don't. You wouldn't say this is a household of faith and unity in this moment. And then we've also got another glimpse of of Mary and her relationship with Jesus. In John's gospel, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, they're at this wedding in Cana. This is before Jesus has begun his ministry. And um, it says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, Jesus, they have no more wine. Now, Big deal in that culture 2,000 years ago. You ran out of wine, you were the host. That was a, a source of embarrassment and shame. And so basically, Mary is basically saying, Jesus, Jesus, you got to do something. You know, I know who you are. Do something. And um, this is Jesus' response. Verse 4, he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Well, you got to love this about his mom. His mom turns right to the servants and says, just do whatever he tells you. <laughs> I don't care, Jesus. You're going to do something. You know, who's got a mom like that? I mean, so, you know, this is kind of a classic mom move. Disregarding her son in that moment saying, come on, son, you got to do this, okay? And, and really, um, Mary's just not extraordinary as a mother. No disrespect to her. But um, and one final one is, is John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 25. Here we see Mary at the cross where Jesus is being crucified. And certainly, this is a a powerful moment. It's a touching moment of a love of a mother for her son. Uh, Many of us can't even imagine what that would be like for Mary there. Um, And so not to take anything away from Mary, but but here's the thing. What what good mother wouldn't be there at her son's side in in his dying breaths, right? I mean, any good mother would, would do that. So the point is that Mary... There's nothing extraordinary about her, okay? Nothing extraordinary about Mary. In fact, the only thing that's extraordinary about Mary, actually, ironically, is how extraordinarily ordinary she is. I mean, come on. Besides giving birth to Jesus Christ, I mean, that's pretty awesome, okay? Besides giving birth to Jesus, what else about her is extraordinary? What, what makes Mary a hero, you know, in this Unlikely Heroes series we're doing? What makes her a hero? Well, to answer that question, we are going to go back to when Mary was a che- teenager. In the physician Luke's gospel account of Jesus' life, chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was a much older relative of Mary, and we'll come back to her in a minute. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, it says she was pledged to be married. What that actually was called back then, 2,000 years ago, was you would be betrothed to 
this guy, Joseph. And basically a betrothal, that was as good as being married. You were absolutely committed to that other person, okay? And you would refrain from any sort of physical relations with that person until you officially became married. So this betrothal, this would... Um, this would happen in, um, for, for girls in their teens, and uh, it could happen as, as early as 13 years old. So almost certainly Mary is a teenager and maybe a young teenager. So it says the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. It says Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, you're wondering, why was she greatly troubled when she saw this angel? Well, the number one reaction, the number one emotional response to seeing an angel when you read through the Bible is fear. This is a supernatural divine being, and it is just, it's terrifyingly awesome. And so she, she's like, oh my goodness. And, and then it says she troubled at the angel's words because, I mean, is, is the angel, is my, has my time come? Is the angel come to take me? Am I dying? What's happening? But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, Mary says, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin, I mean, Mary's sitting here going, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conceive and give birth, but uh, that's impossible. How, how, is this, how is this possibly going to happen? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. We read this today and we think, man, how cool is that? You ever wanted a sign from God, you know? How cool would that be? Mary gets visited by an angel, are you kidding me? And the angel says, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God who's going to reign forever. I think it, that's awesome. Okay, the only reason that's awesome is because we know how the story ends. Okay, and because it's, we're not going through it. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, there's Mary. She's got this encounter with this angel. And what's going on in her mind? She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you serious? I mean, just imagine for a minute how that conversation with Joseph's going to go. Listen, honey, honey. It's okay. I know what you're thinking. I know you're upset right now. I just need you to calm down, Joseph. Take a couple deep breaths, okay? Yes, I'm pregnant. Yeah, that part's true, okay? I just need to explain. This is all God. Okay. This is like a bad Jerry Springer episode, okay? You know what I'm saying? Like Joseph is just going postal. And she's like, no, 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 seriously. The Holy Spirit is conceiving a child in me. It's cool. Like, it's awesome, Joseph. We should be happy. Joseph's like, yeah, okay. All right. This is Joseph's response in Matthew 1.19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, good Jewish guy, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Yeah, yeah. Son of God? Okay. So anyway, here's the divorce papers. Okay, Mary? And, and actually, as devastating as that would have been for Mary, 
that wasn't even the worst of her possible troubles. Check out the ancient Jewish law, Deuteronomy 22.22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Well, they weren't going to find any man who slept with Mary, but they could certainly find Mary. Okay, Joseph's saying it's not mine. Guess what? This is not good. This is not good for Mary. So you can only imagine, you guys, you can only imagine what is going on in Mary's head as the angel is giving her this news that we think is so awesome. It's not awesome for her right now, okay? It's not awesome. This is all that's going through her head. And the angel continues. One last thing. Verse 36 and 37. The angel says, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary's like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Elizabeth? Like, I mean, she's way past childbearing age. Angel's saying, she's going to give birth? Whoa, now that is amazing. Now, what do you think is the next thing that Mary does? And all the th- scenarios that are running through her head, all the stakes, all the things that could possibly happen to her in this moment. She knows Elizabeth is pregnant. Where, where's the next, what's the next thing she's going to do? What do you guys think? She's going to see Elizabeth. I mean, isn't that what you would do? And that's exactly what she does. Luke 1, 39 through 45. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried. Yes, she did. Oh, yeah. She hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now, you got to understand, she's up in Nazareth in Galilee. Judea, that'd be like a 70-mile journey. It's Jerusalem area. That would take four solid days of trekking on foot. So she headed down to Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth, it's Mary. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Mary's thinking, what? How did she know? I just said hello to her. How did she know I'm going to have a child? Elizabeth continues, But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Mary, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, I cannot tell you how incredibly reassuring this experience must have been for Mary. I mean, think about this. Mary has had an angel of God appear to her. There was no one else around, no other witnesses. Then the angel leaves. And she's just running scenarios in her mind, you know, filled with all sorts of thoughts. How's this all going to go down? What's this going to look like? What are people going to think? How's this? I mean, you know, just that's where her brain is. And then she's got four days, four days to process and think about this. Wondering if she's going crazy. Wondering if she's going to be killed for this. Wondering how in the world is God going to come through in this situation? Who's going to believe me? It was an angel, I promise. And then, 
There's Elizabeth who already knows. It's, she's confirming everything the angel said. And then just the, the mere fact she sees Elizabeth six months pregnant. This is impossible. And all of a sudden Mary's like, wow, okay, this is totally God. I'm not just going crazy. I mean, I know it's been hot in the Middle East lately. It wasn't just that I was like kind of delusional and heat stroke. And that, yeah, lunch was kind of funky that day when I saw the angel. And I don't even remember. I mean, all of a sudden it's like, no, God's got this. God's all over this. And she finally has someone that she trusts, that she can confide in. She's not alone in this thing. What an incredible reassurance from God through Elizabeth. I got to tell you guys, for some of you, this is actually what's missing in your faith journey. This is what's missing. You're missing an Elizabeth. You are missing someone in your life that you trust, who can speak into your life, who can be an encourager to you. Someone as, you know, as you're going through it, as you're wrestling with doubts and questions and struggles, and man, you're just having a tough time. Someone who's there for you, who can walk with you through it. You're missing an Elizabeth in your life. I, I gotta tell you, being in community, this is the traction that we need. If you've, if you've ever just had seasons of your life where you're kind of going up and down and up and down and some weeks you know you're all fired up and motivated and you're doing, you know, you're, you're getting after it and then other weeks you're like, man, I, can't, I didn't even think about God this week. Didn't even think about God. You know why? Probably because you're missing an Elizabeth in your life. You guys are probably sick of hearing us talk about this fall we're doing this relationship series called This Is Us and we're really serious about encouraging every single person at Grace. The challenge is every single person at Grace would get into a group just for those eight weeks, okay? Just, just try it for eight weeks. Because who can't, who can't stand to see their relationships get a little bit better? Who can't stand to see their relationships get a little bit better? So I, I gotta tell you, whether you're a groups person, whether you're a church person, um, these groups are open to every single person. And I, I'm telling you right now, guys, if you are trying to figure out how do I gain that traction in my spiritual journey, pushing into community, finding an Elizabeth, a trusted person that's doing that journey with you, it's huge. It's huge. So this fall, get ready. Get ready and be open to it. So Elizabeth has this powerful reassurance that she provides to Mary. And it inspires Mary to pray this prayer, which is known today as Mary's Magnificat. And it's found in Luke 1, 46 through 55. We're not gonna go through it today. You can read that on your own. But man, it is a powerful prayer. And, and really, it's born out of Mary finally getting this reassurance. You know, it's gonna be okay. God's with me. This is all happening. It's real and it's gonna be great. And so she prays this powerful prayer. And we, we get that. She's on the mountaintop at that moment. But that's not what makes Mary extraordinary. That's not what's heroic. It's actually what happens before her visit to see Elizabeth. When Mary, in the midst of all of her doubt and how is this gonna play out and what's gonna happen and all the worry and the fear and the anxiety, in that moment, while the angel is still delivering the news, and she's probably got a million questions of how this is all going to go down. In that moment, check out what Mary says. This is absolutely extraordinary. Luke 1, 38. 
She says back to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. Angels just delivered this news about what's going to happen. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Do you see how incredible that is? I am the Lord's servant. And with that, Mary goes from, from ordinary to extraordinary. Because the reason that God chose Mary is she had a posture toward God summed up in two words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And that posture of yes, Lord, that is what's heroic about Mary. I found in my um, relationship with God that there's really two postures when it comes to us and God. First posture is that posture of Mary. I'm the Lord's servant. The second posture, the Lord is my servant. It's either I am the Lord's servant or the Lord is my servant. What's your posture? I got to tell you guys, more times than I would like to admit, my posture toward God is that second one. The Lord is my servant. I find myself there a lot. And it's usually in those times where I'm, I'm coming to God and, you know, life is, is difficult, stressful. I've got stuff going on. I'm kind of in my own head. And, and I come right to God in prayer. And essentially, I'm in a position of great need. And so I'm just, I'm getting right into it. God, I need you to come through this way. You know, please help me in this and deal with this situation. And, you know, God, please, please, please. But what I realize is in that moment, my posture is very much, God, I need you to serve me. I need you to serve me. I would never say it like this, but essentially my posture is, God, you're my servant. And the way that you can recognize this posture, this is important, the way that you recognize this posture is what happens when those prayers aren't answered in just the way that you'd like. When God doesn't meet your expectations or your time frame, you get frustrated with God. You know why? Because God is your servant. And God isn't serving you the way you think that God should serve you. And in those moments, I completely look past what should my posture should be in the, in, before I do anything else when I come to God. And that is to say, God, I am your servant. Tell me, what can I do for you? God, please, what, what do you have, what would you have me do? And then, and then I come to God and say, Here, here's my needs, here are my requests, Lord. So I don't know how you guys feel about Home Depot, but um, I, I love Home Depot. I, I live down in Annandale, and I have a house that's about 60 years old. And so something's always breaking, which is awesome, because I get the chance to go to Home Depot just about every week and fix something in my house. And, um, and I, I go to the Home Depot uh, down on Braddock Road. And, um, and that Home Depot is my favorite Home Depot because there's this one cashier there, and her name is Alma's. And I have a picture of her for you to take a look at. That's Alma's. She is, she is so cool. Every time I'm there, I look for her. I will only check out in her lane at the Home Depot. And, um, and I'll never forget the very first time that, that, um, that I was there and I met Alma's. And basically... Um, I was trying to, find, you know, got my stuff and I'm trying to check out and you're always looking for the, the shortest line. And there is Alma's and she didn't have anyone in her line and she's actually stepped forward and she's waving at me. You know, she's like, she goes, 
this way, my king. Come this way, my king. My king, come here. And I'm thinking, she's saying Mikey? Is she calling me Mikey? You know, because she's got this awesome Ethiopian accent. I mean, she's this incredible, um, just woman of faith, you know, this incredible Christian lady. And so she's like, my king, my king. And I realize as I get closer to her that in the, I'm deciphering the accent. And then she says, how can I help you, my king? I'm like, my king? Ooh, I kind of like that, man. Yeah, all right. And all of a sudden, anything I'm upset about with the house, I'm good. I'm good in that moment. I'm fine. I'm, I'm quite happy. You see what? That's my favorite Home Depot. I don't go any, I mean, I, that is my spot. She is my cashier every single time. And the, the crazy thing is, it's not just me. I mean, like literally everybody that comes through her lane, she says, my king, come here, my king. How can I help you, my king? Have a good day, my king. Literally, that's the only way she's ever greeted me in years and years and years of going to that Home Depot. My king, how great is that? Some of you are going to go there, right? Right after the service. <laughs> You're going there to find Almas and to just buy something you don't even need. And that's, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, no matter what your mood is when you're walking in, when you get through that checkout line, like, my king, I'm like, oh, yeah, baby. This is awesome. I am the king. Yes. Thank you for the reminder. You know, the only, the only thing, way that this could get better is if somehow she could coach up my wife to say this at home. I mean, in fact, my wife's out of town right now, and she was tuning in online and, uh, at the first service, and she, she texted me, uh, great sermon, my king. So... <laughs> said, that's, that's the only time you'll ever hear it. So just, you know, enjoy, enjoy that moment. But here's the thing. What, what a powerful reminder. God is my king. God is your king. God is our king. And we are the Lord's servants. God isn't our servant. And so ultimately, this has to be our posture. Mary, she goes from ordinary to extraordinary because of this posture. My king, I'm your servant. Yes, Lord. You want to know how God takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things through them? It's through two words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You're my king. I'm your servant. That's all God is looking for is a willingness to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I just don't want you guys to miss out on what God might want to do through you and in you. Just make sure your posture is right with God. I want to give everyone a challenge, if I could. And the challenge is, uh, and the music team's going to come out, they're going to they're lead us in a song here to, to close us out. But the challenge that I want to give to you is that you'd start each day, starting tomorrow morning for, for this week, by simply saying to God when you first wake up, God, you're my king. You are my king and I'm your servant. God, I am here for you. Yes, Lord. I will say yes, Lord, to whatever you have me do today. And then as you go through your day, as you're listening to songs on the radio, as you're reading your Bible, as you're interacting with different people, as you're praying, as you're just going through the ordinary motions of your day, just be open. Have that yes, Lord, posture toward God. God, I'm here. I'm ready. Use me for whatever your purposes are. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you will be amazed 
you'll be amazed at how God can work in you and through you. There's some of you, and you're here right now, and you already know, God's already been saying something to you. There's something, there's a relationship or a habit or, you know, something that God's been dealing with you about. And, and you know it, but you just, you keep just saying, oh yeah, God, I know, I'll get to that. I, I, you know, there's a resistance factor there. And what I want to encourage you to do today is simply to make a decision. Today, I'm going to realign my posture. I'm going to say, okay, God, you are my king. I am your servant. Yes, Lord. I'm not going to fight it anymore, God. Yes, I know. I get this. I know what you've been saying. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Today is your day where you're going to do that. It's going to be amazing. So what we're going to do now is um, we are going to finish out our service together with a song. And this song is going to help us to remember our posture. It's going to help us to remember who's the king, who's the servant, and who needs to have the yes, Lord posture. So if you would, everybody stand up. Let's all stand together and you can sing it out. I'd love it if you would, but if not, just allow these words to wash over you and change you. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. God, help us to always keep you as our king. Remind us that we're the servants. You're the king. Help us, God, to have a posture of yes, Lord, so that we wouldn't miss out on a single thing that you would have for us. That you would take us ordinary people and you would do extraordinary things. In Christ's name, amen.